Chapter Thirty One of Gilbert Keith Chesterton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. Gilbert Keith Chesterton by Maisie Ward. The Living Voice. Chesterton spoke once of the keen joy for the intellect of discovering the causes of things but he was not greatly interested in science. He would have said that although the physical sciences did represent an advance in the grasp of truth, it was, in the words of Browning, only the very superficial truth. He desired a knowledge of causes that did not dwell simply on what was secondary, but led back to the first and final cause. To the medieval thinker, science was fascinating as philosophy's little sister. It was to philosophy what nature was to man nature had been to st francis a little lovely dancing sister science had been to st thomas the handmaid of philosophy the modern world thought these proportions fantastic huxley used nature as a word for god physical science had ousted philosophy an american friend lately told me of a girl who asked if she believed in god replied sure i believe in god but i'm not nuts about him Gilbert was not nuts about science. Therefore, in a world that saw nothing else to be nuts about, he was called its enemy. And as with other things taken more solemnly by most moderns, he preferred to get fun out of the inventions of the age. He wrote in a fairly early number of G.K.'s weekly, Eskimo Song, so that audience in Chicago will have the advantage of hearing Eskimo singing, or words to that effect. Wireless Program Oh, who would not want such a wonderful thing as the pleasure of hearing the Eskimos sing? I wish I had Eskimos out on the lawn, or perched on the window to wake me at dawn. With Eskimos singing in every tree, oh, that would be glory, be glory for me. Oh, list to the song that the Eskimos sing, when the penguin would be, if he could, on the wing, would soar to the sun, if he could, like the lark. But for most of the time it's totally dark. Or hark to the bacchanal songs that resound when they're making a night of it half the year round, and carousing for months till the morning is pale, go home with the milk of the walrus and whale. Oh, list to the sweet serenades that are hers, who expensively gowned in most elegant furs, leans forth from the lattice delighted to know that her heart is like ice and her hand is like snow. God bless all the dear little people who roam and hail in the icebergs the hills of their home. For I might not object to be listening in if I hadn't to hear the whole program begin, and the president preach international peace, and parricide show an alarming increase, and a justice at Bootle excuse the police, and how to clean trousers when spotted with grease, and a pianist biting his wife from caprice, and an eminent Baptist's arrival at Nice, and a banker's regrettably painless decease, and the new quarantine for the plucking of geese and a mad millionaire's unobtrusive release, and a marquis divorced by a usurer's niece, if all of these items could suddenly cease and leave me with one satisfactory thing. I really should like to hear Eskimos sing. It was hardly the expression of an attitude to science, but he did have such an attitude. Life was to him a story told by God, the people in it the characters in the story. But since the story was told by God, it was quite literally a magic story, a fairy story, a story full of wonders created by a divine will. 
as a child a toy telephone rigged up by his father from the house to the end of the garden had breathed that magic quality more than the transatlantic cable could reveal it in later life it did not need mechanical inventions to make him see life as marvellous his overruling interest was not in mechanics but in will the will of god had created the laws of nature and could supersede them the will of man could discover these laws and harness them to its purposes god is where you find it and the value of science depends on the will of man a position which may not sound so absurd in the light of the harnessing of science to the purposes of destruction when discussing machines we sometimes tend said chesterton and sidelights to overlook the quiet and even bashful presence of the machine-gun there was an impiness in gilbert especially in his youth that encouraged the idea of his enmity to science where he saw a long white beard he felt like tweaking it an inquiry nose simply asked to be pulled it was only in comparatively sober age that he bothered in the everlasting man to explain quote, i'm not at issue in this book with sincere and genuine scholars but with a vast and vague public opinion which has been prematurely spread from certain imperfect investigations unquote. the everlasting man page sixty seven that vast and vague public opinion certainly suspected him of irreverence even towards sincere and genuine scholars yet it was by his use of the most marvellous of modern inventions that he won in the end the widest hearing among the public that he had ever known it is not so many years ago that we donned earphones in a doubtful hope of being able to hear something over the radio it is the less surprising that it was only in the last few years of his life that gilbert became first interested in the invention and presently one of the broadcasters most in request by the bbc he felt about the radio as he did about most modern inventions that they were splendid opportunities that were not being taken or else were being taken to the harm of humanity by the wrong people what was the use of calling all countries if you had nothing to say to them what much modern science fails to realize he wrote is that there is little use in knowing without thinking and again writing about the amazing discoveries of the day quote, nobody is taking the smallest trouble to consider who in the future will be in command of the electricity and capable of giving us the shocks with all the shouting about the new marbles hardly anybody utters a word or even a whisper about how they are to be prevented from turning into the old abuses people sometimes wonder why we not infrequently refer to the old scandal covered by the word marconi it is precisely because all these things are really covered by that word there could not be a shorter statement of the contradiction than in men howling that word as a discovery and hushing it up as a story g k s weekly august fifteenth nineteen twenty five for the thing that really frightened him about the radio was its possibilities as a new instrument of tyranny the british broadcasting company holds in england a monopoly and is to a considerable extent under government control it is possible to forbid advertising programs because the costs are met by tax of ten shillings a year levied on the possession of a radio set in an article called unseen catastrophe january twenty eighth nineteen twenty eight gilbert wrote quote, suppose you had told some of the old whigs let alone liberals that there was an entirely new type of printing press eclipsing all others and that as this was to be given to the king 
all printing would henceforth be government printing they would be roaring like rebels or even regicides yet that is exactly what we have done with the whole new invention of wireless suppose it were proposed that the king's officers should search all private houses to make sure there were no printing presses they would be ready for a new revolution yet that is exactly what is proposed for the protection of the government monopoly of broadcasting there is really no protection against propaganda being entirely in the hands of the government except indeed the incredible empty-headedness of those who govern on that sort of thing at least we are all socialists now it is wicked to nationalize mines or railroads but we lose no time in nationalizing tongues and talk we might once have used and we shall now never use the twentieth-century science against the nineteenth-century hypocrisy it was prevented by a swift sweeping and intolerant state monopoly a monster suddenly swallowing all rivals alternatives discussions or delays with one snap of its gigantic jaws that is what i mean by saying we cannot see the monsters that overcome us but i suppose even jonah when once he was swallowed could not see the whale in the summer of nineteen thirty two gilbert was first asked to undertake a series of radio talks for the b b c every one seems agreed that he was an extraordinary success letters from broadcasting house are full of such remarks as you do it admirably quite superb at the microphone in one his work is called unique radio was now added to all his other activities during the four years he still had to live dorothy kept a diary in which she noted in one year the giving of as many as forty lectures and entered reminders of engagements of the most varying kinds all over england from the king's garden party to the aylesbury education committee and the oxford union to scotland for rectorial campaigns dinners at the inner temple and the philosophical society detection club dinners and mock trials at one of which he was defended on the charge of perversely preferring the past to the present besides the books discussed in the last chapter the dickens introductions and the collected poems were republished in nineteen thirty three other books were planned including one on shakespeare that same year gilbert's mother died during her last illness frances was torn between london and beaconsfield for her own mother was dying in a nursing home at beaconsfield her mother-in-law at warwick gardens once i drove her between the two and she told me how she suffered at the difficulty of giving help to two dying agnostics she told me on that drive how she knew her mother-in-law had not liked her but had lately made her very happy by saying she realized now that she had been the right wife for gilbert to a cousin nora grosjean frances spoke too of how she and mrs edward had drawn together in those last days and she added no mother ever thinks any woman good enough for her son nora grosjean also reports aunt marie said to me more than once i always respect frances she kept gilbert out of debt warwick gardens had been their home so long that vast accumulations of papers had piled up there mr ed too had been a sort of keeper of the family archives gilbert glanced at the mass and as i mentioned at the beginning of this book told the dustman to carry it off half had already gone when dorothy collins arrived and saved the remainder she piled it into her car and drove back to beaconsfield gilbert keeping up a running commentary all the way on the hoarding habits of women the money that came to gilbert and francis after mrs edwards death made it possible for them to plan legacies not only for friends and relatives 
but also for the catholic church in beaconsfield with which they had increasingly identified their lives and their interests their special dream was that top meadow itself should be a convent best of all a school and in this hope they bequeathed it to the church a year later another family event this time a joyful one took gilbert back to his youth molly kidd daughter of annie Furman, became engaged to be married she was a rather special young cousin to gilbert both because of the old affection for her mother and because she had played hostess to him in canada when her mother was ill he wrote quote, postmark august twenty eighth nineteen thirty four my dear molly i am afraid that chronologically or by the clock i am relatively late in sending you my most warm congratulations and yet i do assure you that i write as one still thrilled and almost throbbing with good news it would take pages to tell you all i feel about it beginning with my first memory of your mother when she was astonishingly like you except that she had yellow plates of hair down her back i do not absolutely insist that you should now imitate her in this but you would not be far wrong if you imitate her in anything and so on till we come to the superb rhetorical passage about you and the right fulfilment of youth it would take pages and that is why the pages are never written we bad correspondents we vile non-writers of letters have a sort of secret excuse that no one will ever listen to till the day of judgment when all infinite patience will have to listen to so much it is often because we think so much about our friends that we do not write to them the letters would be too long especially in the case of wretched writing men like me who feel in their spare time that writing is loathsome and thinking about their friends pleasant in the course of turning out about ten articles on hitler on humanism on determinism on distributism on dolphus and darwin and the devil knows what there really are thoughts about real people that cross my mind suddenly and make me really happy in a real way and one of them is the news of your engagement please believe me dear molly that i am writing the truth though i am a journalist and give my congratulations to every one involved yours with love g k chesterton unquote. and in that year came two bits of public recognition of rather different kinds he was elected to the athenian club under rule two honoris causa and he and belloc were given by the pope the title of knight commander of st gregory with star during these years the paper had gone steadily on at some considerable inconvenience because he said he still felt it had a part to play at home and abroad the scene had been steadily darkening in july nineteen thirty three years before hitler came to chancellorship we find the following among the notes of the week quote, when we are told that the ancient marshal hindenburg is now dictator of germany we suspect a note of exaggeration hindenburg never was the dictator of anything and never will be he is however the man who keeps the seat warm for a dictator to come hindenburg has led us back to frederick the great hindenburg has now given rein to the extreme nationalists with the delivered provinces to support him in the flush of patriotism and the extreme nationalists have only one policy to reconstitute the unjust frontiers of germany which europe fought to amend unquote. in nineteen thirty one had come the customs union between germany and austria the obvious impotence of the league of nations to restrain japan the national government and falling sterling in england less than two years later hitler was chancellor of germany and in nineteen thirty four came the murder of dolphus 
chesterton wrote of the tragedy whereby the name germany was taken from austria and given to prussia with dolphus fell all that was left of the holy roman empire the barbarians had invaded the centre of our civilization and like the turks besieging vienna had struck at its heart he regarded hitler merely as the tool of prussianism the new paganism was the logical outcome of the old prussianism it was too the apotheosis of tyranny quote, in the pagan state in antiquity or modernity you cannot appeal from tyranny to god because the tyranny is the god unquote. Bellock solemnly warned our country that we were making inevitable the death and great pain of innumerable young Englishmen now boys. It may be in two years, or in five, or in ten, the blow will fall. November 8, 1934 Yet even this seemed less terrible to Chesterton than the state of mind then prevailing, the mood, nay the fever of pacifism, that demanded the isolation of England from Europe's peril. He called it mafficking for peace a sort of imperialism that forgot that the atlantic is wider than the straits of dover and allowed lord beaverbrook to regard england as part of canada englishmen who have felt that fever will one day look back on it with shame this most noble and generous nation he wrote with a note of agony which lost its religion in the seventeenth century has lost its morals in the twentieth the league of nations had g k held been thought at first to be a kind of pentecost but had in reality come together to rebuild the tower of babel and this because it had no common basis in religion quote, humanitarianism does not unite humanity for even one isolated man is half divine unquote. but today man had despaired of man quote, hope for the superman is another name for despair of man unquote. reading a recent commentary in a review I suddenly saw that politics and economics were not what mattered most in the paper. The commentary in question was to the effect that G.K.'s weekly was inferior to the new witness because G.K. had only general principles and ideas and no detailed inside knowledge of how the world of finance and politics was going. Looking again through the articles I had marked as the most characteristically his, I saw that they were not only chiefly about ideas and principles, but also that they were mostly pure poetry. Chesterton was, I believe, greatest and most permanently effective when he was moved, not by a passing irritation with the things that pass, but by the great emotions evoked by the eternal, emotions which in eternity alone will find full fruition. There are in the paper articles in which, appearing to speak out of his own knowledge, he is merely repeating information given him by Belloc and it was quite out of chesterton's character to write with certainty about what he did not know with certainty hence this writing is his weakest but the paper has too some of his strongest work and his mind as he drew to the end of life lingered on thoughts that had haunted him in its beginning Quote, before the boer war had introduced me to politics or worse still to politicians he wrote in a christmas article in nineteen thirty four i had some vague and groping ideas of my own about a general view or vision of existence it was a long time before i had anything worth calling a religion what i had was not even sufficiently coherent to be called a philosophy but it was in a sense a view of life i had it in the beginning and i am more and more coming back to it in the end my original and almost mystical conviction of the miracle of all existence and the essential excitement of all experience Unquote. december sixth nineteen thirty four 
this he felt must be the profound philosophy by which distributism should succeed and whereby he tested the modern world and found it wanting Quote, something of which christmas is the best traditional symbol it was then no more than a notion about the point at which extremes meet and the most common thing becomes a cosmic and mystical thing i did not want so much to alter the place and use of things as to weight them with a new dimension to deepen them by going down to the potential nothing to lift them to affinity by measuring from zero the most logical form of this is in thanks to a creator but at every stage i felt that such praises could never rise too high because they could not even reach the height of our own thanks for unthinkable existence or horror of more unthinkable non-existence and the commonest things as much as the most complex could thus leap up like fountains of praise we shall need a sort of distributist psychology as well as a distributist philosophy that is partly why i am not content with plausible solutions about credit or corporative rule we need a new or old theory and practice of pleasure the vulgar school of panem et circenses only gives people circuses it does not even tell them how to enjoy circuses but we have not merely to tell them how to enjoy circuses we have to tell them how to enjoy enjoyment unquote. december thirteenth nineteen thirty four in attacking a special abuse chesterton was most successful when he took the thought to a deeper depth the following christmas nineteen thirty five he wrote quote, we live in a terrible time of war and rumor of war international idealism in its effort to hold the world together is admittedly weakened and often disappointed i should say simply that it does not go deep enough if we really wish to make vivid the horrors of destruction and mere disciplined murder we must see them more simply as attacks on the hearth and the human family and feel about hitler as men felt about herod unquote. the modern world tended to gild pure gold and then tried to scrape the gilt off with gingerbread to paint the lily and then complain of its gaudiness thus it had vulgarized christmas and now demanded the abolition of christmas because it was vulgar it was the truth he had emphasized years ago in contrast with shaw the world had spoilt the ideas but it was the christian ideas the world needed if only in order to recover the human ideas he went on quote, if we want to talk about poverty we must talk about it as the hunger of a human being we must first say of the beggar not that there is insufficient housing accommodation but that he has not where to lay his head we must talk of the human family in language as plain and practical and positive as that in which the mystics used to talk of the holy family we must learn again to use the naked words that describe a natural thing then we shall draw on the driving force of many thousand years and call up a real humanitarianism out of the depths of humanity unquote. i should like to collect all the essays and poems on christmas he wrote several every year yet each is different each goes to the heart of his thought as christopher morley says quote, one of the simple greatnesses of g k c shows in this that we think of him instinctively toward christmas time mark twain quarterly spring nineteen thirty seven some men it may be are best moved to reform by hate but chesterton was best moved by love and nowhere does that love shine more clearly than in all he wrote about christmas it will be for this philosophy this charity this poetry 
that men will turn over the pages of G.K.'s weekly, a century hence, if the world still lasts. It is for us who are his followers to see that they are truly creative. Destruction of evil is a great work, but if it leaves only a vacuum, nature abhors that vacuum. Creation is what matters for the future, and Chesterton's writing is creative. So, too, with the radio. In this new medium, his mind was alert to present his new old ideas, his fundamental philosophy of life after some fresh fashion. A letter from the Broadcasting House, November 2, 1932, after his first talk records the delight of all who heard it. Quote, the building rings with your praises. I knew I was not alone in my delight over your first talk. I think even you in your modesty will find some pleasure in hearing what widespread interest there is in what you are doing. You bring us something very rare to the microphone. I am most anxious that you should be with us till after Christmas. You will have a vast public by Christmas, and it is good that they should hear you. Would you undertake six further fortnightly talks from January 16th onwards? Unquote. He was asked to submit a manuscript, but promised he should not be kept to the letter of it. Quote, we should like you to make variations, as these occur to you, as you speak at the microphone. Only so can the talk have a real show of spontaneity about it. Unquote. You will forgive me, one official writes, if I insist on speaking to you personally. That is how I think of our relations. G.K. was unique, and they told him so. A lot of reading was necessary for these talks, each one dealing with from four to ten books, and also a principle of selection. The principle Gilbert chose for one series was historical. Quote, Literature lives by history. Otherwise, it exists like trigonometry. Unquote. In the fifth talk of the autumn series of 1934, he gives a general idea of what he has been attempting. Quote, this is the hardest job I have had in all these wireless talks, and I confront you in a spirit of hatred because of the toils I have endured on your behalf. But after all, what are my sufferings compared to yours? Incredible as it may seem to anybody who has heard these talks, they had originally a certain consistent plan. I dealt first with the heroic and half-legendary stories, touched upon medieval chivalry, then on the party heroes of Elizabethan or Puritan times, then on the 18th century, and then the 19th. In this address I had meant to face the 20th century, but I find it almost faceless largely featureless, and anyhow very bewildering. I had meant to take books typical of the 20th century, as a book on steel is typical of the 18th, or a book on Rossetti of the 19th, and I have collected a number of most interesting 20th century books, claiming to declare a 20th century philosophy. They really have a common quality, but I rather hesitate to define it. Suppose I said that the main mark of the 20th century in ethics as in economics, is bankruptcy. I fear you might think I was a little hostile in my criticism. Suppose I said that all these books are marked by a brilliant futility. You might almost fancy that I was not entirely friendly to them. You would be mistaken. All of them are good. Some of them are very good indeed. But the question does recur. What is the good of being good in that way? Mr. Jeffrey West's curious post-war credo has one commandment. He does say, he does shout, we might say, he does yell that there must be no war. But he cannot impose his view because authority is gone. And he cannot prove his view because reason has gone. So again it all comes back to taste. 
and i have enjoyed the banquet of these excellent books but it leaves a bad taste in my mouth unquote. the peculiar half-official half-private direction of broadcasting house is based on a theory of strict impartiality towards all opinions and an attempt simply to give the public the programs that the public wants whether it is possible to maintain such a position is another question that this is the theory there is no doubt and one result is an abiding uncertainty of mind in most of the officials broadcasting house hangs suspended in the air of public opinion and that fickle breath leaves them in no security as to any of their artists the resulting sensitiveness became soothed as the months passed on and they got as near to trusting chesterton as they ever come with any one true letters came attacking him but far more enthusiastically approving of him and the attacks he answered often by private letters that turned the critic into a friend some of his suggestions were not acceptable he was warned off a proposed humorous talk about dean inge and bishop barnes in a series called speeches that never happened subject too serious avoid religion but he was later asked to talk in a series on freedom as catholic and also to debate with bertrand russell on who should bring up our children in this debate he was especially brilliant says maurice baring and another friend wrote quote, i have just been listening not without joy to your putting it across mr bertrand russell afterthought what a mincer it struck me very much having read much of his writing with interest it just shows that the spoken word still has something that the written one can't convey is there a mincing mind of which a mincing voice is the outward and visible warning Unquote. it was interesting that the last few years of gilbert's life should have furnished this unique opportunity of contact through the spoken word between him and the english people his voice on the radio had none of the defects that marred it in the hall his material was far better arranged his delivery perfect he seemed to be there beside the listener talking in amity and exchanging confidences the morning after his death edward macdonald passed a barber shop off chancery lane the man was lathering a customer's face but recognizing mr macdonald left the customer and ran out brush in hand i just want to say i was sorry to hear the news he said he was a grand man mr macdonald asked him if he knew chesterton well never read a word he wrote the barber answered but i always listened to him on the wireless he seemed to be sitting beside me in the room that man edward macdonald comments emphasized what i still think that g k c in another year or so would have become the dominating voice from broadcasting house in nineteen thirty four gilbert had jaundice and on his recovery he started with francis and dorothy on one of those trips that were his greatest pleasure they went to rome it was holy year and this to sicily intending to go on to palestine at syracuse however gilbert became really ill with inflammation of the nerves of the neck and shoulders they stayed five weeks in syracuse gave up the trip to palestine and returned home by malta gilbert and francis were to have dined at admiralty house but he was too unwell to dine out and only came up one afternoon lady fisher remembers going to see them at the osborne hotel gilbert was sitting on a rickety basket chair obviously in pain and talking a good deal in order to hide it she sympathized with him for the cold weather his obvious physical misery and the discomfort of his chair you must never sympathize with me gilbert answered for i can always turn every chair into a story the next year they motored in france and italy and gilbert records in the autobiography 
an experience in a french cafe when he felt a rare thrill not in talking on the radio but in listening on a day that quote was dateless even for my dateless life for i had forgotten time and had no notion of anything anywhere when in a small french town i strolled into a cafe noisy with french talk wireless songs wailed unnoted which is not surprising for french talk is much better than wireless and then unaccountably i heard a voice speaking in english and a voice i had heard before for i heard the words wherever you are my dear people whether in this country or beyond the sea and i remembered monarchy and an ancient cry for it was the king and that was how i kept the jubilee unquote. after he got home i remember how delightedly gilbert quoted the captions on two banners hung in the heart of the london slums one read down with capitalism god save the king the other read lousy but loyal he knew that it was true and it served to increase the passionate quality of his pity patient he could be for himself but the lot of the poor aroused in him a terrible anger and in a broadcast on liberty he gave that anger vent for worse than the presence of lice in our slums was the absence of liberty he would gladly he said have spoken merely as an englishman but he had been asked to speak as a catholic and therefore quote, i am going to point out that catholicism created english liberty and that the freedom has remained exactly in so far as the faith has remained and that where it is true that all our faith has gone all our freedom is going if i do this i cannot ask most of you to agree with me if i had anything else i could not ask for any of you to respect me unquote. Other speakers in the series had dwelt on the liberty secured to Englishmen by our parliamentary and juridical system, both, he noted, of Catholic origin. But in his eyes, even that liberty was being imperiled today where it was not lost, while the most important freedom of all, freedom to handle oneself and one's daily life, had disappeared for the mass of people. The liberty so widely praised that followed the Reformation, quote, has been a limited liberty because it was only a literary liberty you always talked about verbal liberty you hardly ever talked about vital liberty the faddist was free to preach his fads but the free man was no longer free to protect his freedom monarchy aristocracy democracy responsible forms of rule have collapsed under plutocracy which is responsible rule and this has come upon us because we departed from the old morality in three essential points first we supported notions against normal customs second we made the state top-heavy with a new and secretive tyranny of wealth and third we forgot that there is no faith in freedom without faith in free will a servile fatalism dogs the creed of materialism because nothing as dante said less than the generosity of god could give to man after all ordinary orderly gifts the noblest of all things which is liberty unquote. the thoughts that had thronged and pressed on him for half a century found final expression in these broadcasts most of all in two talks one given only three months before his death in a series entitled the spice of life the other two years earlier in one called seven days hard he was haunted by the ingratitude of humanity as in his boyhood he saw the wonder of the world that god has given to the children of men and he saw them unconscious of that wonder what did a week mean for most of them seven full days what did it really mean what has really happened during the last seven days and nights 
seven times we have been dissolved into darkness as we shall be dissolved into dust our very selves so far as we know have been wiped out of the world of living things and seven times we have been raised alive like lazarus and found all our limbs and senses unaltered with the coming of the day Unquote. seven days of human life the meaning of the phrase the spice of life both brought the same running motif Quote, a great many people are at this moment paying rather too much attention to the spice of life and rather too little attention to life unquote. not in any quote, distraction from life is the secret we are all seeking the secret of enjoying life i am perfectly certain that all our world will end in despair unless there is some way of making the mind itself the ordinary thoughts we have at ordinary times more healthy and more happy than they seem to be just now to judge by most modern novels and poems unquote. a week had never been for chesterton just seven days hard although he had worked hard enough he had enjoyed the spice of life he had liked beer and skittles and the distractions of life and its high points of achievement quote, but it is much more important to remember that i have been intensely and imaginatively happy in the queerest because the quietest places i have been filled with life from within a cold waiting-room in a deserted railway junction i have been completely alive sitting on an iron seat under an ugly lamp-post at a third-rate watering-place in short i have experienced the mere excitement of existence in places that would commonly be called as dull as ditch-water and by the way is ditch-water dull naturalists with microscopes have told me that it teems with quiet fun Unquote. The younger generation were despairing of life in the face of life's manifold gifts. Chesterton, as a youth, had revolted against the pessimism of his elders. Now he revolted as an old man against a young generation corroded by a yet more poisonous pessimism. The Hollow Men, T.S. Eliot had called the poem, and in it came the lines, This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends not with a bang but a whimper quote, forgive me if i say in my old world fashion that i am damned if i ever felt like that i knew that the world was perishable and would end but i did not think it would end with a whimper but if anything with a trump of doom i will even be so indecently frivolous as to burst into song and say to the young pessimists some sneer some snigger some simper in the youth where we laughed and sang and they may end with a whimper but we will end with a bang unquote. his last message for this generation was the sound of a trumpet calling us to resurrection a dead world must find life again must go back to the meaning of the book of genesis at which he had learnt to sneer must realize a week once more with quote, the grandeur of that conception by which a week has become a wonderful and mystical thing in which man imitates god in his labor and in his rest unquote through this call sounds a note of most solemn warning quote, unless we can bring men back to enjoying the daily life which moderns call a dull life our whole civilization will be in ruins in about fifteen years whenever anybody proposes anything really practical to solve the economic evil today the answer always is that the solution would not work because the modern town populations would think life dull that is because they are entirely unacquainted with life they know nothing but distractions from life dreams which may be found in the cinema that is brief oblivions of life 
unless we can make daybreak and daily bread and the creative secrets of labor interesting in themselves there will fall on our civilization a fatigue which is the one disease from which civilizations do not recover so died the great pagan civilization of bread and circuses and forgetfulness of the household gods unquote. the listener january thirty first nineteen thirty four this splendid world that god has given us and the furniture of it is as the writer of genesis saw it in his vision as in it the material happiness of labor and in the true end of labor quote, for the true end of all creation is completion and the true end of all completion is contemplation unquote. End of chapter 36